I believe you've been working your way through uh, 1 John. So if you would like to take your Bibles and to turn with me uh, to 1 John chapter 5, which you will find in page 1228 of the, the, the Pew Bible. 1228, John chapter 5. And we're going to read the first five verses of chapter 5. Okay. Let us hear then the word of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now just a wee moment of prayer. Make the book live to us, O Lord. Show us thyself within thy word. Show us ourselves and show us our Saviour. And make the book live to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we live in a world of, of must-haves. Now let me just take a moment to explain what I mean. Every Christmas there is the, the must-have toy uh, for children. And every year, around about September, there is the new um, mobile phone or, or new computers that are, are must-haves. And this extends to clothing. And in recent times, um, footwear, um, Ugg boots, um, or hunter wellies. And things were no different when I was a boy at primary school. I remember one year that the must-have pair of training shoes were a pair of training shoes called Adidas Kick. Everybody who was anybody had a pair of Adidas Kick. And I longed to have a pair of Adidas Kick, but I was from a big family where I was being Catholics, you know. Um, my mum had six boys. So money was a bit tight. But I remember this day, my mum was going out to buy me and my younger brother a pair of training shoes. And in the school playground that day, my younger brother came up and told me that her mum was going to buy us a pair of Adidas Kick. Now, I couldn't quite compute this. I thought, where did she get the money to buy us um, a pair of Adidas Kick? But um, filled with the enthusiasm and the excitement of owning my own pair of Adidas Kick, I, I believed it. Well, you can imagine my delight. I started telling all my friends, I'm getting a pair of Adidas Kick. I ran home that day from school. I couldn't wait to put on my new training shoes. Mum, where are my new trainers? I shouted as I burst through the door. They're in your room, son, she said. I went into my room and there in the floor uh, were a pair, of, a pair of trainers that were black in colour, just like Adidas Kick. And they had white stripes down the side of the shoe, just like Adidas Kick. But these training shoes had four stripes. And I was expecting some of you to laugh there, but none of you did. And if you had have laughed, you would have laughed knowing that real, authentic Adidas training shoes have three stripes. And so did I. My heart absolutely sank. No one, regardless of who they were, could convince me 
that the new pair of training shoes that were lying in my bedroom floor were Adidas kick because I knew that real, authentic Adidas training shoes have three stripes. Now, I share this story as a, as a helpful way into this evening's, this evening's talk. John's purpose in writing this letter you will see in chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John was writing to believers so that they would, they would know, they would be assured that they have eternal life. John was writing to give them assurance. Much of this letter is based around three marks or, or three tests that John gives and orders that the readers would, would have assurance. So just like my Adidas training shoes, John in this letter is saying there are three marks, three tests that denote real, authentic Christians. And these are the test of belief, the test of love, and the test of obedience. But if you're anything like me, when you read through 1 John, and as you compare yourself against the three tests, you would feel discouraged. You would feel anything but assurance, as you don't just quite measure up. But there is more to the letter than this. Why would John feel the need to write to these particular believers to give them assurance? Well, if you look at chapter 2, verse 26, we get an insight into what was going on in their situation. Chapter 2, verse 26, John writes, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So John writes to give them assurance, as there were others who were trying to lead them astray. And in chapter 2, verse 19, um, who this group are is revealed. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So we see the situation. This, this group had, had been part of the church, but now they've left. And this wasn't a case of some folks going off to plant a church. No, this was a case of them moving away from the teaching of the church altogether. The church that had been founded on the teaching of the apostles. The us that's mentioned about four or five times all the way through verse 19. The us of verse 19 is the apostles. They have left the apostles and they have left the teaching of the apostles. They have left and they were now making some amazing claims. Among some of the claims were that they were now totally free from sin. And it's understandable, of course, that all this had confused and badly shaken all those who had been left behind. And it's understandable, too, that they would have had many questions. Are we really Christians? Do we have the real and full gospel? Those folks that left us, are they right? Is it possible to be totally free from sin? Have we missed out on something? So the Apostle John is writing to bring assurance to the church. And he does this not by teaching them anything new. No, he does so by reminding them of the gospel. The gospel that they already have. So the three tests that, that John gives are to reassure the church. And also to reveal that those who went out from them 
were never really of the church in the first place. In fact, look at the language John uses for them in chapter 2, verse 18. Antichrist. It's very strong language, isn't it? They are antichrist. They are against Christ, antichrist. They are opposed to Christ and his gospel. And they are opposed to Christ's church. And John says in these last days, there will be many antichrists within the church. So John writes in order that the true church, the true people of Christ, would be reassured. And that those antichrists, even though they may claim, they may say they are Christians, in order that those antichrists would be revealed. Well, what we aim to do this evening is to grasp something of the overall message of the book. I know that at Seoul here, over the past few months, you've, you've been going through some of 1 John, section by section, um, verse by verse, and, and I'm sure that that's what happens here at the, um, in, in the teaching here at the church. Um, but this evening, we aim to cover the whole book by way of an overview. So this evening, we will have a, a 1 John overview, 1 John and 1 sermon, or as we would say back home in Glasgow, 1 John and a wani. As I've already said, the letter is best around these three tests of real, authentic Christianity. But the tests are, are not neatly divided up into chapters. They are woven together all throughout the letter. So we will begin in the verses that we, we read from chapter 5, as that is where the three tests are, are found together. So let us look firstly at the belief test, chapter 5, verse 1. The belief test. Everyone who believes... That Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who is born of God, everyone who is a, a real Christian, believes that Jesus is the Christ. John started his letter by emphatically presenting the historical reality of Jesus. Chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which, which was with the Father and was man, made manifest to us. That us is the same as, as, as chapter 2, verse 19. This us is the apostles. This, the eternal life which was made manifest to us the apostles, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, the apostles. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is reassuring the church. We've seen him. We heard him. We touched the real Jesus. We were there. In time, space, history. And we can begin to work out uh, some of the reasons why John was spelling this out. As it seems that one of the things that the Antichrist were teaching is that the incarnation didn't really happen. Chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So it appears that these antichrists didn't believe that God had really appeared and lived among us as a man, a real man, fully man. 
So John is reminding them of the historical reality of Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus did appear in the flesh. John and the other apostles saw him. They heard him. And they touched him. Jesus existed. But friends, it's not enough to believe that Jesus existed. There is not a historian worth their salt would deny that Jesus Christ existed. The belief test is not just the belief of the historical reality of Jesus, but to believe all that the apostles have handed down and passed on about Jesus concerning his birth, his life, his substitutionary death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension, and his soon coming again in judgment. We have no authority. We have no right to mess about with the apostolic gospel that has been handed down, that has been passed on. For apostolic preaching and teaching is the foundation on which the church of Jesus Christ is built. This is how the true church of Jesus Christ is to be built, built upon the preaching and the teaching of Jesus' apostles. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ commanded before his ascension into heaven at the end of Matthew's gospel. You'll remember the verses um, often referred to as the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How did the Lord Jesus Christ um, envisage his church being built? through the apostles' teaching and preaching, all that Jesus had commanded them. Christian belief is about believing the message of Jesus, the message of Jesus that he commanded his apostles to preach. But this is not just the way the church of Jesus Christ was to be established, but this is how the true church of Jesus Christ are to continue. Listen to how the apostle Paul instructs his son in the faith and fellow worker Timothy. And all that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will in turn be able to teach others also. And this is what we call true apostolic succession. Passing on the preaching and the teaching of the apostles. Not adding to the teaching of the apostles and neither subtracting from it either. In reading through 1 John you will see that these antichrists were making some spectacular claims. They claimed that they were free from sin and free from sin now. Chapter 1, verse 8. And these claims, these beliefs, set them outside of the one true gospel delivered to the church. And friends, that's the results. That's where adding to or taking away from the gospel of Jesus takes you. It takes you outside the gospel, outside the church, outside of Jesus. And there are many extreme views of this all down through the years, where people have combined some Christian doctrine with their own ideas. And the result often in not has become like a, a Christian cult. And on many occasions, these cults have not ended in salvation or being free from sin. No, in fact, the total opposite. They've ended in mass suicide. 
absolutely tragic. And it's not just extreme groups who fall tragically outside of the apostolic gospel. No, don't think that for a minute. Some of the older folks would um, maybe identify with this, maybe being at a friend's dinner party, and they ask, oh, what church do you attend? And you say, oh, Hamilton Baptist Church. And they say, oh, I used to go to a church like Hamilton Baptist Church during my student days. I'm so grateful for the teaching I received there and for my evangelical roots. I used to believe the things that they teach there at Hamilton Baptist Church. But you know, I've moved on from there. I've moved on to a much more mature faith. And their much more mature faith turns out to be something totally unrecognizable from the teaching of the apostles. And that's why doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. Now, I know a lot of folks think, oh, here we go, doctrine. Because doctrine is often seen as a, as a barrier to fellowship. As doctrine and theology are just seen as, as things that, well, adult Christians disagree on. But doctrine isn't a barrier to fellowship. Doctrine is a safeguard against false teaching. You would only have to read through the New Testament to see how the church from the very beginning has had to fight against false teachers. And how were these false teachers thought? Well, they were fought with the truth. Truth really matters. John loves them and is devoted to caring for them spiritually and their spiritual well-being. And he's very clear about the importance of truth. A wee while ago, I was chatting to a friend of mine who, who now lives in Wales. He's a Glasgow boy who, who was a drug addict. Uh, but man, this boy has been on fire for Jesus since the Lord took hold of him. And he was being asked by his pastor to become a, a member of the church that he attends. But he said to me, Terry, I, I, I just couldn't join. As part of the vows of membership was to confess that I believed that a person who was saved could lose their salvation. And then he said to me this, Terry, I can't be bothered with all that doctrine stuff. I just want to tell people the simple gospel message of Jesus and his love for sinners. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? I just want to tell people the simple gospel message about Jesus and his love for sinners. But as soon as you begin to tell people the simple gospel message of Jesus and his love for sinners, you're drawing on theology. You're drawing on doctrine. Maybe this week, maybe when um, you're at home, maybe you get a knock on the door and you'll answer and they're standing as two Jehovah's Witnesses. And they've got Bible in their hands and they're talking about Jesus. But who is Jesus? Are they talking about the real Jesus? Is the message they are peddling at your door the message of Jesus as preached by his apostles? Well, no, it's not. It's not the real message of Jesus as preached by his apostles. And remember what John said the sign of the last days would be? Many antichrists have come. John says, hold on to the real Jesus. The real Jesus that was preached by his apostles. Chapter 2, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide, remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you too will remain in the Son and in the Father. The belief test. But secondly, let us move on to the love test. 
Firstly, the belief test. Secondly, the love test. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And we can understand this on a human level, can't we? Um, You can't really say, oh, I love you, but I hate your children. The second test that you will see throughout this letter is the the test of, of Christian love. And in particular, love for one another in the church. Love for the brothers. If you have come to know the love of God the Father, if he has adopted you into his family, then this will show itself in love for his other adopted children. John is saying, if you have been grasped, if you have been gripped by the real gospel, then you will love one another. The mark of Christian love runs all the way through one John, like the word Blackpool through a stick of rock. Chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And again in chapter 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against his brother. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but let us love in deed and in truth. So you see, friends, the the love test flows on from and right out of the belief test. You need to know firstly who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And what he did on the cross was out of his love for you, even when you were his enemy. And friends, the evidence of how much we have grasped the amazing sacrificial love of Jesus will be seen in how much we love our Christian brothers and sisters. And in particular, the ones that we don't like very much or the ones that we find harder to get along with. Can you see how practical that is? Can you see how Christ-like that is? Jesus didn't just love us with words. He didn't just say he loved us. It wasn't just the feelings that he had for us. No, Jesus loved us practically. He loved us by his actions and laying down his life for us. And friends, loving one another in a fellowship like this is one of the best things we can do practically to stop each other from drifting. There's words from a hymn that go, let love be found among us. A love from God alone. The hallmark of the children whom God delights to own. Love is the hallmark of God's children. That's what the Apostle Paul writes to um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
Love is the hallmark of God's children. It shows that our faith is the real deal. And think of the difference this makes to the non-Christian who looks into this youth club from the outside and sees a motley, motley crew like you loving one another. A motley crew like you that are different ages and have different tastes and are into different things. Most of you with nothing in common to unite you except that the Lord Jesus Christ first loved Jesus and now you love one another. People may think that you're off your head for believing what you believe. But what should be undeniable about this youth group is your love for one another. Let love be found among us. A love from God alone. The hallmark of the children whom God delights to own. The belief test, the love test, and thirdly and finally, the obedience test. The obedience test. We have seen that love flows from belief. And it's the same for obedience. Obedience flows from love. Chapter 5 verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. So loving one another isn't primarily about having warm fuzzy feelings about each other. No. It's all about obedience to God. Look at chapter 5 verse 3. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. So you can't say that you have real, authentic Christian faith. That internally your heart has been changed. And yet externally there is no change. There is no effect. We can't just go and do what we want as Christians. Do what we like. Do what suits us. No. You're no longer your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Real Christian belief will show itself in obedience to God's commands. Real authentic faith can be tested by obedience. Our obedience to God's commands is, is not to earn God's favour. Our obedience won't save us. No, instead... Our obedience is a response to being saved. Our obedience to God's commands is, is a mark that Jesus Christ has made us a new creation. Our obedience is a demonstration that real change has been affected in our lives by the real grace of God at work within our lives. But remember the context into which John is writing. He is writing to Christians who have been badly shaken by these antichrists and these antichrists who used to be in their church but they have left and taken a whole lot of folks with them they have made, made, made spectacular claims about being free from sin but friends let's be honest who here among us is not a sinner not one of us we're all sinners and without the grace and goodness of God working in our lives none of us would see any obedience to God's commands and so verse 5 of chapter 5 asks, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so you see, that brings us full circle back to where we started, at the belief test. So all of these tests are, are intertwined. It's not enough to just believe the right things, to be theologically correct. 
but this belief must show itself to be loving and obedient to God's commands. And the only way you are ever going to do that is through the new birth that comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Read through 1 John this week and see where John in his letter puts the weight on our assurance. It's not on us, but it's on Jesus. Because let's be honest, as we go through these tests, I am sure we do see some evidence of these things in our lives. But we also see failings in them too. Do I always hold on to the truth? Or do I sometimes want to change it? Do I always love others as I ought? No, I don't. Do I always obey God's commands perfectly? No, I certainly don't. But we do have someone who has done that. The Lord Jesus Christ. But that doesn't let us off the hook. These tests are real. But we can take great comfort in seeing God's work within us. Bringing our lives into line with his word. And we can use these three tests to test the latest, latest spiritual bandwagon that, that rolls into town. Some of you will be going off, off to university, um, away from the confines of the church, out into all sorts of Christian thought. You can use the three tests to um, test all the spiritual bandwagons that you'll come into contact with. Being absolutely sure, as chapter 2 verse 18 says, um, that many of these will be antichrist. But friends, none of us will ever go, uh, go to heaven because we held to the truth enough, or because we loved people enough, or because we obeyed God's commands enough. It is only by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be a Christian? Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We pray that the truth of your word would be sunk deep into our hearts and lives. That our love for the Lord Jesus Christ would show itself in love for our brothers and sisters. And in obedience to your commands, Father. So that nothing or no one would ever be able to deceive us or derail us. And in so doing, we would bring great, great glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.